Hi everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of the Dysmenorrhea Project podcast, the fight against period poverty. My name's Sangavi. I'm Jacqueline. We're two medical students who are passionate about women's health and want to take you all with us on our journey to learn more about this underrated side of medicine. In In today's episode, we will be discussing period poverty and how it affects individuals nationally and globally. So what is period poverty? Individuals who do not have access to safe hygienic menstrual period products and or are unable to manage their periods with dignity, sometimes due to community stigma and sanction, is basically the definition of this term. It is important to mention that period poverty is not restricted to poorer countries in the global south. A 2022 survey by Action Aid UK found one in eight women in Great Britain have struggled to buy menstrual products in the last six months. With the rising cost of living, the same survey done in 2023 found that this has risen to more than one in five women. Here are some statistics regarding its impact. 41% of these women had kept sanitary pads, tampons for longer, and more than one in four women have said that they relied on period products available at school or work. Some even decided to stay at home. Peer poverty and period stigma has a lasting impact on people's lives. 22% of young people who menstruate, around 18 to 24 age range, in the UK feel embarrassed during their period, and more than a quarter of women in the Action Aid UK surveys have mentioned that they experienced negative comments about their periods, which is not surprising to us that period stigma still exists. So why does it matter at all? Well, girls often miss school during their periods, impacting their education, especially when they don't have menstrual products available. For example, in sub-Saharan Africa, some girls may drop out of school completely, and this loss of education can mean they may be more likely to be forced into child marriage. Limited access to products can also result in prolonged use of the same pads or tampons, increasing the risk of infection. And community stigma against menstruation can cause feelings of shame and fear during periods. And as mentioned earlier, some individuals even face social sanctions. For example, in Nepal, there's a tradition called Chapadi, which has been illegal since 2005, but is still practiced in some rural communities. And it involves banishing the young girls to mud huts or sheds for the duration of their period, as it is believed to bring their family bad luck or ill health. And so we've discussed earlier how period poverty is still present in the UK, but it's also important to remember that it's also present globally. one in 10 girls in Africa missing school because they do not have menstrual products or there are no safe private toilets to use at school. 50% of school-aged girls in Kenya do not have access to menstrual products at all and 12% of menstruating women in India cannot afford menstrual products. So what is currently being done about this? Scotland was the first country in the world to make period products free for all and the UK government created a period poverty task force The aims for this is to tackle stigma, period education, and improve the accessibility of period products. The period product scheme in January 2020 provides free product to girls and women in their place of study. It is available to state-maintained schools and Department for Education funded around 16 to 19 education organisations in England, and is currently available for order until at least July 2024. 
the tampon tax, which was imposing 5% VAT on sanitary products, was scrapped in January 2021 after Brexit because it was required by EU laws due to period products being considered as non-essential. And this came into action after the Stop Taxing Periods campaign by Laura Corriton. Some charities in the UK to tackle period poverty are Bloody Good Period Charity, and their aim is to ensure everyone has access to menstrual and reproductive uh, education, as well as access to essential menstrual products. The strategy is to do product provision, education and awareness, and campaigning. The second one is Period Poverty UK, and they help people in refugee camps who are homeless, students, or of um, low-income employment. Hi everyone, welcome to our interview section of our podcast. Um, we have Becca, who kindly has accepted to uh, be interviewed in our uh, section today. So can you introduce a little bit about yourself and um, your organisation? Yeah. Hi, my name is Becca. So I'm the comms and events manager at Bloody Good Period. Bloody Good Period is a UK-based charity that provides period products and education to refugees, asylum seekers, and those that can't afford or access it throughout the UK. We do so much other work as well, but that's kind of the top line of everything that BGP does. So earlier in the episode, we've discussed what period poverty means and its global prevalence. So we've mentioned that period poverty is still very much an issue, even in more developed countries like the UK too. So what do you think are the primary reasons for this? Um, Yeah, sadly, period poverty is a thing all over the world and people can't access products in the UK for like a multitude of different reasons. Um, So in the UK currently right now, demand for BGP services are higher than ever before. There's loads of different reasons why this is, but I think the kind of primary reasons for it is the cost of living crisis. So the fact that people are kind of having to make impossible decisions between everyday essentials. And they're having to weigh up whether they put the heating on, what food they buy, or if they can buy period products. So despite the UK removing tax from period products, consumers still haven't, you know, reached the benefit of this yet. So instead of period product prices going down, they've actually increased. And we've seen a 17% increase in the wholesale price of period products. So it's even higher for just everyday consumers. Um, Last year, in 2023 alone, 40% of people who are on universal credit were also in work and food bank referrals are up. So these are all different reasons as to why people are kind of having to cut back and having to ask like organisations like ourselves for period products. So now down to sort of like your impact on individuals and the society, how do you think period poverty affects sort of physical and mental health of individuals? Yeah, it affects the physical and mental health of individuals greatly for loads of different reasons. I mean, not having access to products will impact people physically in terms of people using makeshift alternatives. So basically people using anything from like socks to scraps of paper. And the issue with that, not only is it uncomfortable and it makes people self-conscious and makes people not want to go about their daily lives and daily activities, It can also lead to a rise in infections because of bacteria entering the vagina. So basically it can mean that they then have all these other negative side effects because of this. Um, It can also increase people's stress. Again, like what we spoke about just then in terms of people going about their everyday activities and not feeling comfortable to do so, which also means that people are missing school, people are missing work. 
um, the statistic that I'll talk about a little bit later about how that is actually impacting people within schools and at work, but it is a really big, big thing. And in what ways does it impact of educational systems and employment of opportunities, would you say? So the start I've got on my screen right here is in a survey conducted by ActionAid in 2022, 14% of people have avoided or missed work due to having their period and not having period products. And it's likely risen since 2022 as well. 89% um, of people are stressed or anxious about having their period at work. And again, that leads to, you know, people missing work, people calling in sick, and then also people's income being affected because of that. So workplaces definitely need to do more to be mentally equitable. We at BGP have a kind of sister organisation called Bloody Good Employers, where people can learn how to be more mentally equitable at work. So that's really important to note here. But also in schools, so BGP doesn't directly work in schools, um, but we hear stories from schools all of the time. There's actually a government scheme that exists now where period products can be like requested by schools. But we've also heard negative stories about how this isn't used by a lot of schools because they don't know it exists, or if it does exist in the school, then they don't have always have the products that they need. Um, for young people, not having access to period products or leaking at school because they're not able to use the bathrooms when they need to has such a big impact on their med mental and like physical. So last year in 2023, IRISE found that 13% have missed school or university because of their period. So these are just stats that all exist just because like, places aren't considering periods and menstruation. That's very interesting. Um, so maybe that sort of relates to maybe the stigma um, surrounding menstruation that might contribute towards some places not having as much sort of period products as others, um, for example, not as free access. Um, so what do you think about sort of that aspect of things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the more that we speak about periods, the better it is for everyone. If people don't know, like don't have the right language to talk about periods, then they feel almost even more self-conscious about asking for the products that they need. So every single time that you talk about periods with your friends or family or in work in a way that's shame-free and open and inclusive, that's just a win for everyone because it gives people the tools that they need to actually talk about periods themselves. We discussed sort of the impact of period poverty and how it affects everyone throughout all aspects of their lives, really. Um, and but and bloody good period is quite a good example of this. But what are some successful strategies or programs you're aware of that have been implemented to combat period poverty? Um, so at BGP, one of our main goals and aims is to no longer exist because we think that the government should be doing this work and should be supporting people that we're supporting. Um, so there's been loads of little wins over the past few years, but still not enough action has been taken to end period poverty and to make sure that everyone has access to the products that they need. So, for example, in 2019, the government pledged £250,000 to end period poverty. And they also assembled a task force to help do that. Unfortunately, um, the task force was suspended and we're not sure where the money went for that. So we're kind of lobbying and asking the government where that money went and asking them to prioritise period, period poverty and ending period poverty again. Another little win is obviously the period product scheme, which again has its own issues. But the fact that that exists is a great step in the right direction. And we're calling on the government to do even more of this work and to really take it seriously through our work. Through our campaigning, um, we're asking the government to take it more seriously and taking periods to Parliament. 
So, as you mentioned, there are some strategies that the UK government has tried to do to address period poverty. Um, and you've mentioned already that they're not exactly perfect, such as the abolition of the tampon tax um, and the period product scheme. So, what do you think needs to sort of be done in this respect? What more can the government sort of do when they're aiming to try and address period poverty? Yeah, so for starters, period products should be freely available everywhere for everyone that needs them. But they should also be accompanied by education, normalisation and support. Because um, it's all well and good having the products available, but if people don't know that they're available or don't know how to access them or don't know how to use them, then it's not doing its job. Um, so we're campaigning for menstrual equity at BGP. So it means having equal and comprehensive access to period products, as well as this normalisation and education around it, around things like reproductive health as well. Um, so our period penalty campaign is doing that. But yeah, the government just needs to improve access to period products, needs to make sure that they're readily available, and needs to make sure that people know where to get them from. So obviously, improvements on a government scale would widely benefit a large proportion of the population. But how important is community involvement as well as education in trying to address period poverty? Yeah, super important. So the, again, as we spoke about before, the more people that talk about periods, the more normal it becomes. So if communities can do that and can kind of open up these conversations, then it kind of gives everyone permission to do the same. We find that as soon as we start talking about periods, everyone has a story to share and everyone wants to talk about it. So it is really just giving people permission to talk about it by doing so yourself. Because um, yeah, no one should be ashamed by this normal biological process. Everyone in the world either has a period or cares about someone who has a period. So there really is nothing to be ashamed of. And having these conversations with your friends, your community, it's only ever going to be a good thing. So we've covered a lot today in terms of like the breadth of uh, individual and society and we talk about sort of solutions of how we can sort of deal with this period poverty. Um, so in terms of the future perspectives, what are some sort of long-term goals for as a society to fight against this sort of stigma and period poverty? So I've mentioned period pen penalty before in this podcast, but just talking about that again, signing up to our period penalty newsletter will really help in terms of showing how to get involved um, we're doing a lot of campaigning this year so keep an eye out for that um, yeah just engaging with your MPs making sure that it's a priority for them when it's coming into this election year because obviously 2024 is a really politically charged year so it's really important to get these asks in now and show that it's an issue that you care about um, we need to keep coming together to demand better from our government and to show that this is a really important issue that affects everyone and affects people in different ways of life that they've never even thought of before. Um, from a more instant, immediate point of view, just following our Instagram, following our social media, keeping up to date with everything there, and also donating to our work, obviously, if you're able to, um, are all great ways to just keep involved with the fight for menstrual equity. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, hopefully our sort of, uh, audience has learned a lot about period poverty and thank you for, so much for your time. So much is being done to try and tackle period poverty, but there's still a lot more that needs to be done. And just looking at the UK continuously, um, the period poverty task force created by the government was actually paused in 2020 during the pandemic to free up resources. And there's still the question of when will it be resumed? And the abolition of the tampon tax has not really had any impact as most of the costs went to the organisations. Um, and any improvement in affordability to consumers has 
have been been removed quite quite a lot since um, due to inflation. And the school provision program is not enough, to say the least. Only 50% of eligible secondary schools and organisations took part in 2021, and many schools are still unaware of the scheme and others receive insufficient funding for their actual needs. This is because there's an annual spend cap based on 35% of the number of recorded girls and women in your school or college who, based on age, are likely to have started their periods, which can vary slightly for large schools and colleges, but still is an annual spending cap for these organisations. And the scheme does not cover students on higher education qualifications, apprentices and staff, including supplier staff, volunteers and contractors. So there's really still a lot more that needs to be done. And that's a wrap for this episode by the Dysmenorrhea Project. We've learned lots about period poverty and hopefully this has increased your understanding and debunked any misconceptions you might have had related to this topic. The sources used in this episode and links for further reading are listed in the description box. Please make sure to like and subscribe to our channel and follow our Instagram page for more future content regarding women's health topics. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.